0: Hello and welcome to this episode of The Jewish Views with Phil Dave. Tony Honigberg and Diana Toman. Coming up on this episode, we will be speaking to Olivia Marks-Wallman, the Chief Executive of the Holocaust Memorial Day Trust, about not only Yom HaShoah but the sad news that we lost yet another Holocaust survivor this week. Alec Ward has died aged 91, so Olivia will tell us a bit about his life as well. We'll also be speaking to Joe Bohr, a Jewish comedian, who's going to tell us about his fascinating new show, A Room with a Jew, and as if all of that isn't enough, we are also going to be speaking to Arie Miller, the executive director from the Zionist Federation, who'll be telling us exactly how his organisation planned to help the community mark Israel's Independence Day on the nineteenth of April. But before all of that, let's get a roundup of the main Jewish news stories from the past week with Vivian Krieger.
1: First up, Ken Loach, the left-wing filmmaker and staunch ally of Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn call for MPs who attended a rally against anti-Semitism in the Labour Party to be deselected or kicked out, as he put it. The comments were made at a screening of Loach's film I, Daniel Blake in Kingswood, Bristol. Loach also accused the Israeli government of infiltrating and undermining the Labour left. However, Ken Loach later said his earlier quotes did not reflect his position. And the actress Maureen Lippmann was among many hundreds of people who descended on Labour's headquarters to protest at the party's handling of anti-Semitism, particularly in relation to Jeremy Corbyn. On this occasion, no senior politicians addressed the crowds at the demonstration, which was organised by the campaign against anti-Semitism. It came as the Guardian newspaper revealed in a poll that half the electorate believed the party has a problem with the issue. Also this week, Israel's Labour Party and its left-wing leader Avi Gabay announced it wants nothing more to do with Jeremy Corbyn because of his perceived inaction over anti-Semitism. In a letter sent to Mr Corbyn, he said his British counterpart had shown hostility to the British Jewish community and had allowed anti-Semitic statements and actions. Nazi graffiti has been daubed onto street signs, bus stops and outside residence houses in Dollis Hill, North London. Community leaders have condemned those who did it, but no suspects have as yet been identified. The swastikas and SS logos have now been cleaned off by community groups. Local Labour MP Dawn Butler told Jewish News she was horrified by the graffiti and said everyone must stand together against hatred and racism. Lastly, tributes have been paid to Holocaust survivor Alec Ward, who has died at the age of 91. Mr Ward was born in Poland in 1927. He survived two ghettos, three slave labour camps and two concentration camps before making his way to Britain, the only one of his family left. The Holocaust Education Trust said he was a wonderful man who dedicated his life to ensuring the world remembered what happened so that the horrors of the past wouldn't be forgotten. He and his wife, Hetty, travelled around the country speaking to schools and universities, reliving his most painful memories. And we'll be finding out more about the life of Alec Ward later on in this show from Holocaust Memorial Day's chief executive, Olivia Marks-Waldman.
2: Thank you, Viv. First on the Jewish views this week, we have Justin Cohen, news editor of the Jewish newspaper, and Justin joins us to review the paper. Let's look at the front page and the headline, which reads,
3: Justin... Corbyn's Red Letter Day, which is a reference, of course, to the letter that's been sent now by the head of the Israeli Labour Party, Avi Gabay, this week, telling Jeremy Corbyn that they're severing ties, or suspending ties, as he's put it, with the party, pending a regular review every three months. Obviously, this is the the latest twist in a a very long-running saga, which has seen the latest demonstration on the streets of London this week. Organized by the Campaign Against Anti Semitism. Yet more revelations, more concerns have come up this week, and actually the latest. Issue that we've seen is the decision of Ken Loach, the film director, to suggest that anyone who actually supported the original rally against anti Semitism, organised by the Board of Deputies and the Jewish Leadership Council two weeks ago now, should actually be suspended from the party.
0: Which does seem like an extraordinary claim because mm. surely the point of all of this is that anyone who is seen to have been guilty of committing anti Semitic offences, surely they are the ones who should be kicked out the party. Not the people who are understandably concerned by it. It seems bizarre.
2: Is it a twist They twisted it round just to suit themselves. I think, uh,
3: of so course. I, just, I mean, this all feeds into the suggestion by some people that Jeremy Corbyn and and his Labour Party is somehow uh, immune from criticism, or that somehow this is being exaggerated or is a smear against the leader. Which, of course, you know, all those people that turned out at 24 hours' notice at Parliament Square two weeks ago had genuine concerns, and I think even if you claim that some cases or some people who are talking about a case of anti Semitism are doing it for whatever reason that might be. The Jewish community is very clear that these are genuine concerns, these are genuine fears, and that this is something that needs to be cleared up.
0: Well as this latest rally would actually have us believe it's not just the Jewish community. There were members of all sorts of communities who are walking arm in arm mm. with the Jewish community yes, at this right. rally. Mm. And and this just goes to show that this is not a problem that just a affects our community clearly mainstream society is also quite concerned by this
4: it's a spillover as it were.
3: absolutely Mm. yeah
2: do you think this letter from the labor party of israel will make a difference
3: Uh, i don't i think that this was something that was almost inevitable at some point But actually, what it actually means is very, very limited. The truth is that this is a specific targeting of Corbyn and not the wider party. Hmm. The of relations between Jeremy Corbyn, his office and the Israeli Labour Party were already extremely limited. You have to remember, it's two years now since the former leader of Israeli Labour, Isaac Herzog, invited corbyn to visit israel to visit yad vashem that inv- invitation hasn't been taken up yet two weeks ago when i had a chance to speak to corbyn he said that he would like to go to israel or the middle east as he put it <laughs> within you know within a time period he didn't put a time scale on it he said he'd be willing to meet Bibi as well at that point which would be a first but yeah that was the extent of relations as far as i'm aware a letter or two that have gone backwards and forwards
0: well, do you know what? I, I think that people to be forgiven for thinking there is no other news other than Labour and anti-Semitism. Of course, it is a massive story, which I dare say will roll on and on and on. But what else is making the paper this week, Justin?
3: Yeah, Another key story we've got this week is happier news, you could say, in that Prince William has supported a book that's going to be published shortly by the mental health campaigner, Johnny Benjamin. Many listeners will, will know his story, will, will have followed his story. Several years back, he was on the verge of committing suicide, went on to one of London's bridges and was about to jump when a stranger came about, Neil Laybourne, talked him down. They became friends. They're now campaigning together for extra mental health resource and extra mental health awareness, doing an incredible job hand in hand. And I think this book will really shed new light on on his story a story which is also taken in the princes both Prince Harry and Prince William have worked together with Neil and with Johnny as part of the heads together campaign that the the princes brought together and and this is the book that that's coming out a special forward has been written by the Duke of Cambridge in which he pays really quite incredible tribute to Johnny Benjamin describes him as being an incredible example he points out that the mental health is not a dirty word we all have mental health like we do physical health good or ill and I think that kind of message that kind of support from someone as high-profile as Prince William will hopefully not only shed new light on mental health and help to raise awareness of these of this issue but also Johnny will sell more books, actually. Well, I was <laughs> going to say,
0: luck. I mean, with a little bit of luck, you never know. That might actually do something to boost sales. And if we're particularly nice to uh, to Johnny, who has spoken to us uh, a few times days. on this programme, maybe, maybe he can convince his, his royal highness to, to write a foreword for us and boost our listeners as well. <laughs> I, I, I must just
2: say that the, 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 the princes, Harry and William, have been very forthcoming towards lots of things, more than their parents or their father, and more than their grandparents have done, certainly within the Jewish community. So it's been lovely. So, uh, you know, see what happens going forward on Uh, that one.
3: The relationship, I think, between Prince William in particular has has really blossomed. I think Mm -hmm. he's following in the footsteps of his father. uh, And his mother yes uh, true but particularly his father (laughs) as as being a a real trailblazer in in terms of holocaust education and and spreading awareness and developing links with people like the chief rabbi both Mm. past and present i think this is another illustration though of how having a royal supporter a royal patron is like nothing else to shed new light on on an issue it Um, still works doesn't it still
2: works absolutely what else have we got
3: OK, well, we're also paying tribute this week to the Holocaust survivor, Alec Ward, who's passed away at the age of 91. Uh, Alec was one of the boys, the 732 child survivors of the Holocaust that came to Britain after the Holocaust. Probably their most famous nu- among them, Ben Helfgott. Mm. But Alec was another. And, and as I said, tributes have been paid quite widely this week including from Karen Pollock of the Holocaust Educational Trust who says that Alec was a wonderful man he dedicated his life to ensuring the world remembered what happened during the Holocaust but once again uh, you know it's a reminder that every single week we are losing more and more survivors Mm -hmm. more of the first hand testimony and that's why many of the activities that are taking place by people like HUT, by the Holocaust Memorial Day Trust and by others to preserve testimony and make sure that that lives on is so important
0: certainly is. And we are going to be finding out more about the life of Alec Ward when we speak to Olivia Marks Waldman from the Holocaust Memorial Day Trust a little later on.
4: And that's where we have to leave it for this week. But thank you very much, Justin Cohen, news editor of the paper. Don't forget, you can pick up your copy of the Jewish News every Thursday across London, or read the e-version at jewishnews.co.uk.
0: Now one other thing that came up in our pay-per-view was the rally that recently took place in central London protesting against the issue of ongoing anti-semitism that appears to plague the Labour Party under Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn's watch. Well, our very own Kate Fulton went along to the rally and she managed to get in on some of the action. Here's what happened.
2: Today's
5: demonstration is a
3: truly national
2: demonstration. You've travelled here from all over the UK, from Glasgow,
5: from Manchester, Bye. from Liverpool, Bye. from Leeds, Bye. from Birmingham, Bye. from Brighton,
3: and from Bristol, welcome
5: <laughs> <and laughs>
6: <Pakistan, laughs> one and all, and especially
7: to so those of us who are doing, those of you who are What
0: brought you today over to to this rally? It's pouring in the rain in the middle of Victoria Street and actually there's already been a rally.
3: What made you want to come today? I
7: really felt I had to come out and show my support for the campaign. And Um, what's
3: what's the problem? What what are you feeling is the main problem?
7: The main problem is Corbyn is the problem.
3: Not a bad turnout today, hey?
7: Very, very good turnout today. I'm very, very impressed. I thought, what with the weather and everything else and just putting all the Pesach goods away, there wouldn't be a lot of people. But I was wrong, thankfully.
4: What brought you here today? and I wanted to do to show my solidarity with the other Jewish people and my fears are always for my grandchildren and what sort of life they're going to have in this country and we must stop these things before they get completely out of hand which unfortunately they're getting it's really important to be with all the other Jewish people thinking the same as I am
2: and also thinking
4: about their family thank you what right. made you
2: want
1: to come today? What way we want to come today? today is basically to support the Jewish people in regards to what the Labour Party has actually been supporting. Um, I'm particularly concerned about Jeremy Corbyn, knowing that he has openly supported the Palestinian Hezbollah, in particular, which is a, a banned organisation. So I know that his camp is not a, a good camp, basically, and that, that alone has made him... Blinded to many of the things that have been happening in this party, so that's
0: why I'm here today. Shame. Wow, what an incredible atmosphere it sounds there, doesn't it? My goodness me, that was our very own Kate Fulton as she was at the rally which took place earlier on in the week to protest about the ongoing problem of anti Semitism that appears to have plagued the Labour Party.
2: You're listening to The Jewish Views in association with The Jewish News. And on the line now we have Olivia Marks-Wardman, who is the Chief Executive of the Holocaust Memorial Day Trust, and she's going to talk to us about the Holocaust Memorial Day Trust, as well as the Holocaust survivor, Alec Ward, who unfortunately died this week, aged 91. Tell us, uh, firstly, before we go into talk about Alec, can you tell us a little bit about what the Holocaust Memorial Day Trust does?
8: Yes, of course. We were set up by the government specifically to promote and support Holocaust Memorial Day, which takes place in January on or around the 27th of January. That date marks the anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz and Holocaust Memorial Day is the day for everybody, not only in the UK, but also internationally. It's a day to commemorate the Holocaust and also mark all victims of Nazi persecution and commemorate the genocides that have taken place since then. Of course, I'm talking to you today as we approach Yom HaShoah, and we work very closely with Yom HaShoah UK. The key difference between the organisations, I suppose, is that Yom HaShoah is the day internally for the Jewish community to mourn our dead, Holocaust Memorial Day in January is for everybody, regardless of faith or background or ethnicity. Really for everybody to learn about the past and appreciate just how much of an impact the Holocaust had and how much meaning it had for everybody.
2: Do you think it's more so for the Jewish people than, than everybody else, or just it's just different for Jewish people?
8: Well, when the Holocaust Memorial Day was established, the phrase that was used was to describe the Holocaust as... An horrific episode that threatened the foundations of civilization that has meaning for everybody mm. what we learn about the Holocaust and how it took place threatens all of us threatens the fabric of society and what it means to be civilized and that has resonance and meaning for absolutely everybody
2: we're talking about well, we're going to talk about Alec Ward who died this week aged 91 for many years survivors didn't talk about their experiences and what happened to them during the second world war and i think it was the holocaust educational trust maybe together with yourselves that actually pulled them out and got them going around to schools and talking about what happened to them can you tell me a little bit about alec
8: Yes, of course. In fact, I'm, I'm smiling as I recall him at the same time as mourning his passing. He was a lovely man and such a gentleman and did so much to educate so many people. And it's a, he's a great loss to, to not only the Jewish community, but to everybody who with whom he shared his story. You're right. So many survivors didn't talk about their experiences for for a long time. And Alec indeed had a very full, busy working life as he rebuilt his life and and created and and developed a wonderful family. And it was only with the Holocaust Educational Trust, with the Holocaust Survivor Centre that he worked with both organisations and with us to share his experiences and enable so many people to learn more about the past.
4: Are there any plans to record Alex's voice digitally as they have, indeed you may have already done this, as they've done with so many Holocaust survivors who are now preserved in, in perpetuity, as it were, to play to schoolchildren? I'm not aware of any plans at the
8: moment and I don't know what recordings exist already of the talks that he's done in the past. As I said before, he, he worked with a number of organisations and, and on his own behalf too. So I'm not sure what already exists of his own voice recordings. You mentioned very appropriately the work that the UK Holocaust Memorial Foundation has done to take testimony from a number of survivors. And we at the Holocaust Memorial Day Trust have a number of video and podcasts of survivors. And I think there are many organisations looking at different ways of conveying those personal testimonies from the individuals themselves. And perhaps one of the most interesting projects is the Forever Project at the National Holocaust Center. I think they're taking 10 testimonies in very high definition in a very lengthy, comprehensive process, which will be a very interesting way of conveying those personal testimonies and evidence.
2: It's interesting that we talk about recording survivors. I've been doing this for a number of years for my local shore where we've been videoing and recording them and I've been putting them onto YouTube. What we come across now though is that as survivors are passing we're now trying to get the children of survivors to talk about their parents, their father, their mother, but also talk about their experiences as a child of a survivor.
8: Mm-hmm. Those are really. That's very interesting because the the experiences as children of survivors and for some third generation mm. too, very varied. And for some, that's a very crucial part of their family lived experience. But that's not the case for everybody. And and it's it's interesting to to see the differences in in the the individuals and the families. One thing I would stress though that we're very keen to highlight at the Holocaust Memorial Day Trust is, of course, the experience of survival was anomalous. The vast majority of the Jewish population of Europe was annihilated. And one of the central parts of Holocaust Memorial Day is to encourage people to learn about and honour the memory of the people who were murdered. And we really feel it's incumbent on people. We encourage people to take responsibility for remembering and honouring the people who were murdered, as well as using every opportunity that exists at the moment to learn from those who did survive. It's a dual responsibility.
2: That was uh, Olivia Marks-Waldman from the Holocaust Memorial Day Trust, the chief executive of that organisation.
0: Tony, I just want to pick up on what you were saying to Olivia there just now because I did know this about you. Okay, fair enough. Maybe some of the listeners didn't, but I did know that you do your part in trying to record and preserve conversations with Holocaust survivors. And I suppose I want to know from you what your experiences are of that because that must be, if it's anything like the the privilege I've had when I speak to Holocaust survivors it's it is a privilege isn't
2: it it's a privilege to talk to them it's traumatic to hear their stories a lot of the stuff that i record is done in front of schools and these are 14 and 15 year olds the trauma from my point of view looking at it as i'm filming is listening to the stories but also watching the children and some of them are just bursting out crying just listening to the stories of survival
0: it's because it's so unfathomable, isn't it? We just—I don't think, no matter how many times we hear all of the horror stories that these survivors have gone through, it's just beyond comprehension in this day and age
4: that anything like that could have ever happened. Never mind so recently. Exactly. I mean, this was their grandparents' generation. It, usually, these schoolchildren are talking mm. about their grandparents' generation or what their grandparents went through. So it is only—you know—it's only two generations back and one of the things that struck me about the forever project which olivia mentioned and i was thinking of that is happening in nottingham is that you get this you get the holocaust survivor on a big screen Talking to an audience of school children and the school children who are listening get so involved that they think the m- the person is actually there. And I've seen them burst into tears, just as you say, do with,
2: with that project though also, I, I believe what you can do is you can ask them questions. You can indeed and- the, play the they'll play back, the answers. play
4: back the answers it's quite extraordinary
2: such a clever system it's and I think that they're going to go around the country they will be hiring this out this particular unit to various places so schools can take this unit and. but it has to be said themselves. though
0: that I'm, I don't consider myself that much of an emotional person and I, I don't believe that that should come as a major shock working in a news environment where unfortunately you do hear the most horrible things mm. day in day out and as a result of it it almost builds up I suppose an immunity, an immunity to horrible news because it's just so matter of fact, you just have to deal with it and get on with it. And yet, the very few occasions that I can recall in my adult life where it's actually reduced me to tears is the occasions when I have been lucky enough to speak to Holocaust survivors. And it almost never fails to the extent that even if I'm asking them the questions or even if I'm just sitting there in awe listening to everything they have to say, I think it's when you can see in their eyes Mm. what they've gone through and (sighs) you can see them reliving every single moment. Can you just begin to imagine what it must be like day in, day out, never escaping it? Yes, they've survived, but what have they done? They've had to survive
4: with that on their shoulders forever. And then retell it. Sorry, Tony. And then keep retelling it over and over and over again.
2: I think it affects you, me and Diana, more than non-jewish people because we are jewish and it is our our ancestors it could have been our grandparents could have been my parents frequently was and diana's Mm, absolutely so this i think affects you emotionally more than maybe people that aren't jewish but i'm talking about school children that aren't jewish by the way that these people well
4: we relate i think we we relate more to it I think we
0: relate to it in different ways though because I think that whether you are Jewish not Jewish whatever you are everyone has the ability to feel and to to understand pain and to see pain in someone's eyes and it is very distressing to see somebody else in distress or recall something mm. that they have gone through so whether that be some of the stories that have come out say for example of Syria in more mm. recent times Indeed. when you speak to refugees from there and you know what they've been through it's just as harrowing it doesn't necessarily matter whether not they are jewish or not but i think what it does do is it gives you that added element of empathy because they are from similar backgrounds. this is
2: different to when you hear the news or when you're reading the news on the radio because you are distanced from it when you've got someone talking to you face to face let's take rwanda now if you had survivors from rwanda coming to talk to you i bet you'd burst out crying Yes, I think you would.
4: But I remember a broadcast by a middle class, and she admitted she was middle class, Iraqi woman from Kabul, when they were under siege, and she said, "Let me try and describe what it's like." She said, "If you if you come from a, you know, a, a fairly well off family and you're used to having reasonable amount of, ordinary living standards, if you like, and you suddenly run out of water." And she said, just imagine you live in Hampstead and every day you've got to take a bucket down to the River Thames, fill your bucket and walk back to Hampstead every day, possibly twice a day. And that rang all sorts of bells with me. It was so... So pictorial, if you like, Mm -hmm. because you could relate absolutely to Mm -hmm. that woman.
0: Therein lies exactly my point, is that it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. If you can relate to something and it means something to you, suddenly it does have an effect on you and that is definitely where i believe that holocaust education has yet to develop hmm. and that is that it needs to be able to relate to everybody that everyone has to be able to visualize that it could have been their grandparent it could have been yeah. their parent it could have been their child could have been who been was them. involved hmm. of course it could yes. have been them and that's where it needs to almost, I wouldn't say improve, but just increase. Yep. is because it's about relating it. And like I said, with us being Jews, yes, we can instantly relate to because we know that had we have been around in those days, there was a chance that we would have been subject to the Absolutely. same persecution. Absolutely, Absolutely right, yeah. You are listening to The Jewish Views in association with The Jewish News. And if you would like to get in contact about any of the stories that you hear on this show, then we would love to hear your Jewish views. You can always email studio at jewishviews.co.uk or you can find us on social media. Find us on Facebook by going to facebook.com forward slash the Views or on Twitter, we are at jewishviews.uk or of course, you can always go to our website jewishviews.co.uk
4: You're listening to the Jewish Views in association with the Jewish News. And I am actually sitting opposite Joe Bohr, who is an incredibly talented observational comedian. It says here in my (laughs) (laughs)
6: write-up. I thought that's actually what you thought. (laughs) I may well. I
4: may well. What is an observational comedian?
6: I think it's a a type of stand-up comedian. I think it's a type of stand-up comedian that most comedians are. They observe and talk about their observations to an audience who hopefully agree with laughter. Yes. I think that's probably the best way of describing it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm an observational comedian. and I I, I tell jokes. And uh, I'm a Jewish comedian. I, I tell jokes about my family who are Jewish. And I think... A lot of Jewish audiences tend to be able to identify with that,
4: they'll relate to that, I'm sure, yeah you won a very special award ten years ago, I gather
6: yes, Jewish comedian of the year, my mum was judging Your uh, mum right. then again she always does
4: <laughs> she might be a little bit embarrassed, perhaps <laughs> yes. Have you noticed any change in Jewish humor in the last ten years?
6: I think young audiences tend to respond differently to older audiences possibly but i think we all laugh at things that we can sort of relate to and and that sort of is is funny i think there are jokes that i do that tend to work i'm going to say all the time it's not going to work now that they (laughs) when they come to see my show it's all right we
4: won't let on (laughs) we're looking at 10 years worth of of audiences have they yes. not become more savvy have they not become more cynical in the last 10 years
6: P- possibly they there used to be fewer when i started out 13 years ago there were fewer stand up comedians and more clubs so it was it was easier back then and i think it's a lot harder to be a, to be a stand up now because there's comedy everywhere there's the internet
2: what's your background how did you get into comedy
6: so I was a filmmaker. I went to film school. I made a comedy film, which went to the Edinburgh Film Festival, and audiences laughed. I was in an audience and the, watching my film, and they laughed. And I thought, "Oh, I, could, I can write funny." And I gave it a go, and I got got hooked
2: on it. Yeah, but performing, writing is one thing, but mm. standing up in front of an audience and performing is something completely different.
6: Yeah, I, I have performed. I wouldn't say I'm, a, I'm I'm an actor. I have acted. I have done acting courses. But I'm more of a of a, a writer and, and creator. They do say there are two types of performers. There is the, the writer and the performer. I'd like to think that I'm both, that I can do both. But I, it's interesting, doing this show, doing A Room with a Jew, I've learned a lot about myself and about where the comedy comes from. And it, I think it comes a lot from, from my mum. I've learned a lot from myself from doing it yeah
0: well you've mentioned a room with a Jew so we might as well yeah. talk about a room with a Jew yes. now this is, of course is the the performances of the show tell us what audiences can expect to see when they come and watch a room with a Jew
6: it's a story about about me about my background about my family recently become a dad so it's all about things that I'm learning that um, tough. thank you very much and and about my mum really it started off being about me but my mum is dominant both in my life and in my show and um, not
4: no. your father
6: my father a little bit yeah my father a, bit. a little bit but my mum i've realized is unintentionally very funny and can <laughs> provide me with a lot of material has provided me with a lot
2: of material are, are your in parents show. involved in the business um, you like in the entertainment industry
6: my, my dad was my dad was a film censor right. he was a principal examiner for B- bbfc right. basically the films would come to him and he'd take out the, the good bits,
0: basically. <laughs>
6: <laughs> she was was he le- like that in life as well? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my my mum was a lecturer. I mean, it's not her job, it's just what she did.
2: Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> so how would you say then in that case, you've mentioned your mother quite a few times, so obviously she's a yeah. very heavy influence to what you do. Give us an example of when you say that she is naturally quite funny. What have you observed about her that has made you laugh and subsequently other people laugh? It's quite hard to explain
6: I think there's the the lack of filter maybe she's a typical jewish mother i'm still sort of finding out through doing the show the i think the best way of describing it best example is when i did the london marathon 11 years ago it still counts i finished it and she drove to meet me and she said probably the worst thing you could say to anyone who just finished the marathon i just ran 26.2 miles and um, my mum came up to me and she went, Oh, I've had a nightmare getting here.
4: <laughs> 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 I can imagine. Joey, yeah, you've, you've done you've done a lot of a lot of shows all around the country. I've just been counting yes. them. There were twenty-one appearances. Is your mother yeah. following you around, telling you to wear your scarf and <laughs> giving you chicken sandwiches and things? And wash behind your ears. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
6: She has she has been to some of the shows. She went to a preview. And I uh, stupidly asked her what she thought of the show. She said, it's tough listening to one person talk for an hour. I thought <laughs> um, <laughs> it was more of a reflection on her having to be quiet for that amount of time. But she she loves it. I think it's, it's a celebration of her. So
0: And what's the reaction been yeah. like generally from the audiences? I assume you've had the chance to speak to them afterwards. What have they said?
6: Yeah, lovely. Really lovely. Just did a lovely, sold-out show in, in, in Farnham. And it's it's a very personal show, so it means a lot when people sort of turn up and they're very nice and it's a combination of 13 years of of stand-up that i've tried and tested and and it, it's 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 working so far
2: you perform yeah. to a lot of jewish audiences but yes. presumably perform to non-jewish audiences as well yes, yeah is there a difference in the non-jewish audience response to the jewish audience
6: there can be. I like to be as, as accessible as possible. Mm-hmm. I have to be in order to earn money, so I have to be. To oh, you're <laughs> earning money from it. Oh, that's Yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell my mum. <laughs> yeah. So I try and make make it uh, you know make my material as accessible as possible. Mm-hmm. Jewish audiences are very very funny. You know, Jew- Jewish people are very mm-hmm. funny. They're, so therefore, they're a little bit tougher and can be tougher to please. But I think they certainly relate to some of my material. That, that i do i called up my mum actually after a gig and i said i had you know, a tough a tough jewish gig i said why 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 were they why are they so tough you know why are some Jew- jewish audiences really you know why do they why do they find it hard to listen sometimes And she said oh, I, I can't talk now <laughs> <laughs> i,
0: thought, I think on that <laughs> note we better find out how we can get more information if anyone yeah. wants to come and see you
6: <laughs> all details about my tour on my website dot <laughs> J O E B O R. co. UK. And there's information if you're on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Joseph Bohr B O R.
0: Fantastic. Well, we'll also put Thank the details you, on our website as Thank well, you. Jewishviews.co.uk. Joe Bor, thanks very much for speaking thanks to us on this me. episode. You're listening to The Jewish Views in association with The Jewish News. Don't forget, if you would like to comment on any of the stories that you've heard in this episode, then you are most welcome to do so. You can always email studio at jewishviews.co.uk and you can also find us on social media. It's facebook.com forward slash thejewishviews and on Twitter we are at jewishviewsuk and of course all of those details can be found on our website, jewishviews.co.uk. Now, in case you didn't realize, it is very nearly Yom and the community is getting ready to celebrate in style as ever with the help of the Zionist Federation. I'm delighted to say that Arie Miller from the Zionist Federation joins us now and is about to tell us hopefully a little bit about what the ZF are going to do to mark yet again a rather special occasion how is it possibly going to top though, the 70th Ariel? that's what we want to know
7: well so this is going to be a really exciting event, we're going for a party that's what we're doing, we're, we're taking the spirit of uh, the streets of Israel, the beaches the kind of sun, sea and sights in Tel Aviv and we're we're bringing it to the U.K. with two of Israel's top artists, one of the U.K. artists as well, schools, performers, dancers, photo booths, everything. Really, you name it, we're going to have it there. And we're even encouraging people to wear blue and white so that we can really bring Israel to the U.K. All
0: right. So give us a little example. OK, so you said it's a party atmosphere, but I am a regular punter. I've said I want to come along to the ZFC Yom celebration on April the 19th. So where am I going? What am I doing?
7: So it'll be in North London. We are bringing over a 1,000 people. For the first time in a very long time, we're selling relatively cheap tickets, standing tickets. So it really is going to be that kind of concert atmosphere. We're bringing Hadagna Hash from Israel and Ehud Banai, We're bringing Jack and Joel of X Factor fame, one of the X Factor finalists from last year, and primary schools, secondary schools, students, really everything that you can bring, we're bringing it. And for the first time in a very long time, we're bringing a huge number of community organisations together. We have over 40 community partners, and obviously being here, it's important to say, as well as that, we have the Jewish News as our media partner this year.
4: I notice it says on the flyer, North London. I imagine that's because of security reasons, is it, that you're not actually specifying where where it is, but it, whatever it is, it must be a huge venue.
7: It is. It's a big venue. Unfortunately, for security reasons, we, so. we can't yes. announce it yet, although anyone who's bought a ticket will have received their ticket or be receiving their ticket in the post over the next couple of days, and on the ticket it does say exactly where they'll be coming. Uh, well. But if you're in a car, it's less than 12 minutes from Hendon. <laughs>
0: (laughs) (laughs) we are on the subject of security, though, because in all seriousness I think that one thing that puts a lot of people in the community off from going to events like this is that element of security. Mm -hmm. Now I've been lucky enough to go to a ZF function before and I do know from my own personal experience that security is absolutely as strong as it can be, but perhaps you can just reassure some listeners out there how the security element of it works.
7: Security is a prime concern for us the safety of all of our attendees is absolutely paramount but also this is an open event we don't want people to feel like they're about to get on a plane or go through an airport that's not that's not what we're doing we're here to make sure that everyone is able to celebrate whoever wants to celebrate in as safe a fashion as possible we're working with police with the community security trust and with the security at the venue to make sure that everyone who wants to celebrate can come and celebrate and be safe while doing it But it's going to be a really, I think, a really exciting celebration and a chance really to celebrate Israel. We spend a lot of time doing politics and news and all of that side of stuff. This is an opportunity to really let our hair down and to have some fun.
0: But the problem is, though, this is Yom Ha'atzmuk. This is celebrating Israel's Independence Day. And I don't believe for a second that over in Israel they're having a party for St. George's Day. Why do you think it means so much to us over here?
7: I actually, I disagree with you on that. I think the expat community in Israel does celebrate <laughs> St. George's Day. Well, they probably uh, celebrate it more than we do much here. Much like the <laughs> Irish expat community celebrates St. Patrick's Day. York, and yes. so it's our opportunity as a diaspora, as a Zionist organisation, and a proud Zionist organisation, an organisation that was behind the and the recipients of the Balfour Declaration and therefore part of that foundation stone of the State of Israel. It's our chance to celebrate what Israel is today to really proudly kind of wave Israeli flags, we do plenty engaging with British society and British politics, and this is our chance to kind of have a blue and white night.
2: I don't want to bring a negative into this, but what's the Zionist Federation's thoughts and views on all the people that are anti-Zionist or BDS or anti-Semitic, what's the Zionist Federation's views?
7: So ZF stands up loud and proud against the boycott movement and against people who are anti-Israel, anti-Zionist. I think, for me, part of it is that they have chosen, the other side have chosen to define what Zionism is. I mean, because you, know, you get
2: the, the Jewish element as well as the non-Jewish element. Absolutely, that. absolutely.
7: Yeah. For me, Zionism is, pure and simple, the right to self-determination for the Jewish people. I don't believe that Zionism means the lack of the right to self-determination for anyone else doesn't mean that I stand against anyone else it just means that I stand proudly in support of Jewish self-determination. Those people who are anti-Zionist and anti-Israel are, as far as I'm concerned, are saying that they are against Jewish self-determination or they are misdefining what Zionism is in the first place. Well,
0: let's end on a more positive note, shall we? And we shall say that if anyone wants more information about the ZF celebration for Yom Ha'atzmaut on April the 19th, where do they go? What do they do? How do they get tickets?
7: Tickets are selling really fast. We've already got one category of tickets, our top category, that's sold out to get tickets don't hesitate go to www.zionist.org.uk forward slash event forward slash yh70 there is also if you go on that website you'll see an exclusive student pre-party which is hosted together with a number of other organizations at the same venue exclusively for university students but our event is open for everyone to book now
0: Excellent. Well, well, Tony and Diana will see you at that student <laughs> thank party. Thank you very much, yes. And in the meantime, Arie Miller from Zionist Federation, thank you very much indeed for speaking to us today on The Jewish Views. Time now for our Rabbinic Thought for the Week, and this time it comes from Rabbi Ben Kurzer from Edgware United Synagogue.
5: Recently it was reported that while the Queen was walking with Sir David Attenborough in her garden at Windsor Castle, their peaceful conversation was, was disturbed by the noise of planes overhead as they took off and landed at Heathrow. While it made me smile to think about the conversation that took place between them, it also got me thinking about silence. We live in a world of noise. Traffic, ringtones, and the humming of various machines are part of our existence. We hear so much noise that at times we become uncomfortable with silence and fill it with music or chatter just to avoid the quiet. Yet silence, at times, is more powerful than noise. On Yom HaShoah, when we have a minute's silence for the victims of the Holocaust, and on Yom HaZikaron, we are quiet to remember those who have given their lives for the state of Israel. Each of those silences is more powerful than any words we could possibly say. We also read of Aharon's reaction to the death of his sons at the inauguration of the temple and that his reaction was one of silence, a lack of speech that conveyed his deepest sense of loss. But silence is not just an absence of words. It is a chance to hear our own voice within ourselves, a chance to reflect and to contemplate on our values and our innermost thoughts. The Torah was given through silence in one sense. The Medrash has the following description of the moment that God spoke to man. When Hashem gave the Torah, no bird cried out, no fowl flapped its wings, no bull bellowed, the angels did not fly, the angels did not say holy, holy, the sea did not move, no creature spoke. The world was quiet and silent, and the voice called out, I am Hashem your God. The truth is that in some sense, God speaks all the time. We just find it hard to hear him, through all the noise. Hmm. Well being an audio
0: production, I'm not completely convinced that the power of silence would work too well for this programme. But all the same, we do appreciate the wise words of Rabbi Ben Kurza from Edgeworth United Synagogue. And actually, do you know, thinking about what he was saying there? Silence does have a profound effect on me personally anyway, because forever for work, whether it's for the Jewish views or any other radio work I do, I'm always using my ears. So I always seem to be listening to something and it's a very rare moment when I can just step back and think no, just silence is what's required and it's really nice once in a while.
2: You know they they talk about using silence when you're interviewing someone. If you ask someone how a does quest- that work? Will you ask someone a question, <laughs> don't if they haven't answered just wait just wait and yeah. don't jump in there and try try and qualify what you've asked them wait for their answer and eventually they do come back and they come back they, they're silent because they they're stumbled by what you've asked them and, and they're thinking. Thinking the, time the, and the thinking
4: else. one hopes well they do say silence is golden don't they absolutely speech is silver and silence is golden mm.
0: and unfortunately we have to offer some of that gold to our listeners now as sadly that's all the Jewish views we have time for but all that's left for us to do is to thank our guests we thank very much Olivia Marks Waldman chief executive of the Holocaust Memorial Day Trust thanks also goes to Joe Bohr telling us about his production Room with a Jew don't forget if you want more information about that you can look at our website jewishviews.co.uk thanks also goes to arie Miller from the Zionist Federation as well telling us about how they are going to mark Yom Haatzmot for 5778 or 2018 depending which calendar you use But we must also remember to thank our producer, Sue Greenberg. We must thank you at home for listening. And of course, don't forget that if you want to listen to this episode of The Jewish Views again, or indeed any of the previous episodes, you can always go to our website, jewishviews.co.uk, where you will indeed find that facility to listen to all previous episodes. But The Jewish Views is brought to you in association with The Jewish News. But for me, Phil Dave...
2: And Tony Honigberg.
0: And Diana Tuman. Thank you very much indeed for listening. And we do hope you join us next time here on The Jewish Views. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye.